Jim, Jim, Jim. How's it going? It's going so good. You've done a great job finding some really interesting people to talk to. Oh, you know, I just think, what am I curious about? What do I want to know more about? And hopefully that aligns with what other people care about. But if any of you out there have something that you want to know and we haven't covered it. Right. You let, let us know. know. Yeah. Send us a question. We'll try to explore it on, on our podcast. But today we're going to talk to Michelle Loveday. And Michelle has started a school that is focused on Black history and um, Black experience. And I'm really excited to learn more about it. I don't know enough about it. I just heard about it because some people that I know on Facebook are connected to it and I've known Michelle for a while. And so I just thought, well, we need to, we need to find out what's going on here. Right. And really interesting parameters within the school. So let's get her here so we can find out more about how did this come to be? Yeah. And I'm also wondering if she can share anything that other schools can use to, you know, make culturally relevant instruction, something that happens, you know, make sure yeah. that we're being responsive to our diverse needs in our schools. So anyway, here she is. Okay, let's do it. Hi, Hi Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you. How's life uh, coming back from the outside now and being locked in? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. How about for you? I'm trying to adapt, I'm trying to get outside as much as possible. Yeah. But we did have to work in August. So um, now I'm just trying to get used to seeing people's faces again. <laughs> right. I have actually a little anxiety about it myself. I know. I didn't want to at first. I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to go in without my mask. And they had a meeting today and it was like filled in the room. And I was like, mm, I'll just do it virtually. Like it just, I didn't like being with that many people all at once. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely going to take some time to feel comfortable again <laughs> do, uh, doing what we did before. So yeah. Well, it's exciting to see you. I'm so glad that you, uh, took the time to join us tonight. And um, this is Tracy. I don't know if you've met her, but. Nice to meet you. Nice works, to meet you too. She works for USBE. So she's, you know, in the, in the mix of it all. Yeah, used to be a principal with Jim and uh, moved up to the state level and fascinating work and policy matters. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to get to be as smart as I can, as fast as I can. I know. I was just with USBE right now. I'm on the many 130 people. We're doing the portrait of the graduate. Yeah, yeah. For the next two weeks. So I'm in those meetings in the morning. Nice. Love yeah. Nice. Great. Yeah. So Good. Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just, you know, who are you? Thank, and thank you for that, that checklist so I could think about it. Well, you know, um, so, okay, Michelle Loveday. I'm an educator of 20 years. Um, I have five children, three adult uh, blended bonus children and two younger school-age children and a wife of 15 years. Um, we have five chickens that we call the hip hop coop and they each have a name related to something of a hip hop type of thing. Um, and so I, I, I've constantly been an educator. I think that's just my, my passion and what I do. And I'm constantly reading, definitely a lifelong learner. 
And, you know, just tonight, you know, it's our like first official day of summer. And I told my daughter, okay, before you watch any TV, you're going to have to read a book. And she about cried. I was like, I don't know what you think this is, but <laughs> your mom is an educator. So um, yeah, you're going to be reading at least 30 minutes a night after dinner, and then you can watch some TV. So right on, I, right on. That's right. So I, can I, you come to my house? I need some help on this end. Okay. Just tell them that. I don't know, make an incentive, boondocks or something, Cowabunga Bay. And I believe in bribing children <laughs> to get solutions, but I, I do. I just, I love, I love education and, um, and my family and just being outside and hanging out. Nice. Well, I, I want to just jump right to, you know, kind of exciting stuff. Speaking of virtual, what, what is up with Rise Virtual Academy? What is going on there? I, I just heard about it today. Yes, it's a brainchild of mine that just came out of inspiration, but it's always been a dream of mine to have a school. I think, you know, most teachers you ask, when did you start teaching? And I started lining up my stuffed animals and dolls and teaching them, you know, like most children do. But moving out here in 2005 is when I came to Utah. And that's when I became um, an administrator. Well, I was a teacher. So I went back to school to become an administrator. And I noticed there just wasn't anything or any advocate for black and brown kids. Um, and so I had always wanted to start a school. I had dreamed of starting a school. What would that look like within the demographics of Utah? Getting kids to one location would have just been a logistical nightmare um, and expensive because there's some in Ogden, there's some in Provo and it just, where, how would I get them um, to one spot? So it had been a dream. And then last year during, during COVID, and we moved to virtual learning and right. I was working from home and I was teaching my students uh, virtually, you know, my language learners and my, my children were at home learning virtually. Um, I thought, huh, maybe this is something that we could do. We have tutoring that's virtual. Maybe this is something that I can do virtually. And then when everything with the civil unrest and we had Ahmaud Aubrey and um, Brianna Taylor, and then I had to finally tell my children again about George Floyd's murder I just kept thinking, how am I going to inspire my children when so many negative things seem to be at them in the, in the media? And how can I inspire them? I don't want them to feel defeated as a black child in this world. And what can I do? And of course I can teach. That's just what I love to do. And so um, it hit me like, oh, I could do a virtual academy for black kids and they can learn their black history. They can learn um, who they are and where they come from and the strength of our ancestors because in school curriculum, let's be honest, it's only, you know, you can only cover so much in a seven hour period and social studies sometimes is every other day, you know, and so kids are not learning all the history that's out there, especially black history. And then you have these children that are sitting in schools in Utah that are predominantly white, all white staff, and they're probably feeling some kind of way. And the one thing that we focused on last year during COVID was the social emotional learning of our students and the impact and the importance of that. And so for me, starting Rise Virtual Academy was more of a call to action for our black students to remind them that they have history they can be proud of. It's not just the civil rights era and Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman, you know, like that's all they hear. The same four leaders in black history, Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King, and then maybe 
you know, somebody else on the side, but they really need to, to know that there's more than beyond what we did in integration as black people. Um, and so that's where it came from, just making sure that they had once a week time to learn their black history. So they could walk into a room that's predominantly white and hold their head up high because while they might be the only one in the room, they know that they have, you know, shoulders of greatness to stand on as they do that. So. So you said so once a week. Sorry, Jim, I got it. I was just gonna, yeah, I was just going to try to. So it's kind of a supplement <laughs> to yeah. the regular school experience. Yes, it's not a full school yet. And I okay. say, yeah, you know, because I still have the dream of the school. This is just a once a week thing. Um for 45 minutes to an hour and it's K-12. It was important that I found teachers that looked like student, you know, look like the students. And so yeah. um, I found teachers and I separated into what I feel like education should look like. So it's K-1, two, three is a group, four through six is a group, and then seventh through ninth, seventh through 12th, depending on our numbers. And so they each had a teacher and they each, um, would focus on topics together, but then break it down to their grade level once a week, 45 minutes to an hour, just to supplement, um, just you know, to encourage them to move forward. But I'd love to do something five days a week. Like when LeBron James came out with a school and, you, and I'm like, oh, I could maybe do this. We'll hope. Maybe LeBron has a tiny bit more money than you as an educator. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you are LeBron and money's just pouring in at all every angle, but no. <laughs> that's the advantage, right? Like he's got the money, but I do like what he did in tying it to a public yes. school system. You know, yeah. I, and that's I'm a public school proponent. Yeah. And so I, I would want to tie it to the public school in that way. Um, I know that charters is how you start something, but I loved how he tied it to a public yeah. school system. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question then. Are you going to try to jump into that charter school world where this could be something that serves kids full-time every day? It's, it's a massive undertaking. And then, you, you know, when you think about things like that, fear gets the best of you. But I think as we were having our, um, our end-of-year celebration, and it was the first time we could be together in person, um, and I, cause my initial thing was like, we're gonna be virtual, but at least four times a year, we're gonna get together in person to have um, an assembly or, you know, we'll have a guest speaker to come out or we'll meet at Tracy Aviary to do a, you know, an activity or the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. Like we'll meet at a location four times a year. So when May hit and we were able to kind of get outside, I thought, okay, let's have our culminating activity together um, and seeing all the students and their families together We've got students that are, you know, adopted and transracial adoptees. And so the parents were just like having this community for our children means the world. Um, it kind of pushed me and launched me into, okay, maybe this is something that could happen yeah. um, full time, five days a week. And not just, of course, Black history would be part of the focus, but then also tying it into science and tying it into all elements of the, you know, K-12 curriculum. Um, it definitely is one that is supported by many of the parents. Um, and then I talked to a few people and they're like, absolutely, let's look for land. I know how to fundraise and, and I'll support you in that endeavor. Um, so just grappling my head around it, but like you say the charter school movement and I would honestly, I, I, don't, I don't know much about wanting to do it that way. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? 
But I think that's like the first way you do do it so you can start it. But I, I don't like how charter schools operate in regards to taxes. And so I, I, I'm treading on that just, you know, as a public school educator, but that'll work itself out. <laughs> Well, and I love what you have created because it's a very unique space. I'm curious about how many kids you've had involved. Yeah, so that's a great question. And I, I, when we first started, we posted actually our year anniversary is tomorrow. So my first post on our first created social media and Facebook site on Instagram was June 8th. And that was like my first like, hey, let's have this school and I'm going to start. And within two to three days, we had 80 families sign up. Wow. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this is a need. Yeah. I'm gonna have to really make sure that this is operating legitimately. And then within the end of the week, within the end of June, we had 200 families sign up. And now, you know, mind you, each student had to sign up through the family. So there might've been a family that had five kids. Um, and so then 140 students sign up, but we had 200 entries that moment, which, you know, then it's like, well, what day do we do this on? Because you can't accommodate everybody's schedule right. and not everyone's going to. And so I think that's what I'm going to look into for the second year. But we had 200 families sign up and regularly that attended um, doing attendance. It was about 80 to 90 children fluctuating. Um, we would have, you know, 12 to 13 each grade level regularly. Hmm. Um, and so each week, I mean, and there were some kids that when I was doing attendance, I kept thinking they never missed a week. Like they have been on every week. And so we would have 50 consistent students sign in. And then I'd have parents when I was, and I would send the email out to the same parents. I had a re-registration in January and many parents were like, please keep us on the list. We love the information you're sending out. It's just that so-and-so has basketball on Thursdays uh -huh. or you know, I picked a random day. I picked Thursday. Yeah. And so they still, now that, you know, they still have activities or they have something else going on. And I think that's the hard part is there are going to be some students that are missing out. And so our board for next year, as we, you know, we take the summer break, our last time together was in May. Um, we're looking at, okay, for those students that can't come on on Thursday, what can we do to involve them? And that might be the quarterly times that we're together in person. Nice. Awesome. And how do you how do you come up with the topic? Sorry, Jim. I'm so excited. Oh, no, you're fine. I mean, do you have the kids kind of bring in ideas? Do you brainstorm together? The teachers do a lot of that planning together with each other. Yeah. Yes, not the students. Um, and we do give you know we do take feedback for, from them on what they would like to see during the lesson. But I initially purchased curriculum from an Indiana company, and they're called the um, the Historic Journey. And they have black history it, with it built in the curriculum. And they use, of course, the Indiana state standards, which are since they're close to Utah state standards. Um, and so we started off with the historic journey. It's, it's a compact, like it's almost overwhelming what one lesson has inside. So because we're only teaching once a month, we'll say, okay, well, we're gonna look at voyagers and shipmakers, and we broke it up into two sections of lessons, two weeks. Um, and then as we evolved, we would meet once a month, the teachers and I um, talking about what went well. And one of the teachers, for example, she was a science teacher. And one of the things that she was creating was um, information to her students in her classrooms about how COVID had come to be. And so she wanted to do a, like a series, a four week series on what is COVID? 
what about, what do we know about vaccines and why and why are you know why is the black community hesitant to get the vaccine and then look at the history of the Tuskegee experiments and and then just really tie it in for them to fully in real time understand what's happening um so we met once a month to say okay do we want to go out of the historic journey or do we want to just pull and so one time we talked about like we really want to do places where black people typically are not right like skiing or ice skating or skateboarding, uh, scuba diving, like all the random things that we typically are not in um, aside from basketball and football and finding those things and tying it into history. So it, this, it's just like the topics are the limit but the historic journey helped set the tone for that. Wow, that's really powerful. I mean, what a difference that's making for the students that are able to participate and just their perspective and, and just, you know, being able to see themselves in history finally. So that's that's really great. What um, what advice do you have for folks that are just you know like me or <laughs> Tracy, and we're we're in schools that are predominantly taught by white people? How do we do little things that make a difference for our students of color? Yeah, that's such a key question, because even though this is something that I do on the side and in the evening, um, I share as I'm talking with my administrators and teachers that the most important thing is how to have culturally relevant environments. And, you know, that is key. And, and it's funny because when I was, that's what sparked me to purchase the historic journey, because when I was looking through the curriculum, he had a page ex excerpt of what is a culturally relevant environment. And what does it mean to be a culturally relevant teacher? And, and I'm like, okay, that's my language. I talk that all the time. I talk about how students get it when you like them. Students get it when you see them and students get it when they are welcomed in your environment. And I think that's, you know, I tell white teachers all the time, you don't have to look like your students for them to know that you care and that you are in their corner, right? You know, um, having those conversations with them, checking in with them, finding out who they are and how they do celebrations is, is extremely key. Um, and, and letting them know that they are, in, you know, they're in charge of their culture and they have the expertise in that. Um, and just finding little ways to infuse what they like in the classroom and school environment is key. I was going to quickly look up because I don't remember a name, but I'm just remembering an article that uh, I saw about that teacher who has been sort of put into teacher jail because she had the Black Lives Matter sign. And um, really the thing that struck me about the story was that instead of saying these are at-risk kids, right? You know, and, and most, I think, of the kids that were in her class uh, in that community, I think she's in Florida, Robert E. Lee High School, right? Which is in itself kind of an oxymoron. The name. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then she created, uh, you know, these the, this community of these kids that came together and celebrated their strengths and all the things that they are great at and all the great places they have come to be there in that space, right? And I don't remember exactly the language. Instead of saying at risk, you know, it's like I don't know 
uh, on my way to perfection or something like that was what they had said. I'm just, you know, I'm just curious too. How, how have you seen shifts in kids? Because you could, you could tell even from the pictures, right? These kids were proud, excited, eager, ready for more, wanted to learn. What, what have you noticed? What have you seen? I think when students feel seen and understood, the respect level goes up. They, they have the struggle of, I, I know I should respect my teacher because they're older, but I don't respect my teacher because she totally ignores me all the time. But I have like, so they have that internal struggle, but the genuine love that they would feel for a teacher when they know that their teacher has their back regardless is, you know, they would do anything. They would try anything. And um, what is the, every child needs a champion. Have you seen yeah. that? that YouTube uh, TED talk. And she talks about every child needs a champion. And if every teacher did an equity audit on who is going to champion our students to not have, you know, and who are you gonna take? What student is gonna be your mentee? And I think having one teacher, a social worker, the cafeteria lady, one adult in that building, it, it lifts students' spirits to encourage them to want to come to school. Yeah. Um, and, and you notice, especially during, you know, during the pandemic and the closure of schools, it was 50-50. Parents, of course, were tired. They were like, okay, please take my child. But then you heard it from a lot of black and brown communities where it was like, my child doesn't feel stressed anymore being at school because of the microaggressions or any bias that was against them. They don't have to constantly battle the little subtle snide remarks or, you know, not being called on or the, the, the disregard, they didn't have to deal with that during COVID. And that was just so much more, you know, stress-free. So I think when teachers can really address any bias that they would have, because we all have bias to move forward and to get that deficit thinking out of their head, students thrive. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was thinking about, um, in kids in this process, and we want them to have that culturally relevant pedagogy, right? We want them to feel that connection. And um, I, I know as a principal, there are a number of times when I had teachers who kind of wanted to do that. And then they just, they just sort of shrank from it because they didn't want to get it wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can't, it's like, I always compare it to when I was learning Spanish, right? I'm not a Spanish native speaker at all. And so it's not something that comes natural. I have to work at it. And then if I take a year break, who knows what vocabulary has left my brain. But when a parent that speaks Spanish walks into my school building and I start speaking Spanish and it, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, they're like, it's fine. But they light up because they're like, someone can try to help me. Yeah. And there's that connection. That's I'm trying, I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm gonna get the, my verb tenses wrong. I might even say I'm pregnant instead of being embarrassed. I might use the wrong word, but they know that I'm trying and that's the connection that all, you, you know, you can only get it wrong and then you can apologize and it's okay. You know, you can come back the next day and say, you know what, I really said the wrong thing. And the kids be like, that's okay, Miss Love Day. We knew what you meant. Yeah. It's cool. You know, there's grace given there. And so I think as adults, we have to give ourselves more grace than, than worrying about we're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong by not saying anything completely. And then you've messed yeah. up. 
we completely messed yeah. up. Yeah, great advice. Because I do think that there is this level of fear, like, I don't want to offend anybody, or I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't want to get it wrong. So then they get kind of frozen. And I completely agree that just being in that frozen place is not a welcoming relationship building kind of space. So venture into that, into that area, into that arena, and do your best and just be as transparent as you can and as open and connected as possible. Good advice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, now, Michelle, is this critical race theory? Jim, you just said that so you'd get more hits. <laughs> you know, I like to stir it up. Yeah. According well, to those that are giving the definition, and I say this with all sarcasm, yeah, everything is. Santa Claus, this computer, this podcast is all critical race theory. That's how I'm taking it. Like, I have to take it as a joke. Um, because the definition that they're aligning with it is not like me teaching my black history to black students. How would that even, you know, no one's getting put down. I think it's so ironic that the definition of what critical race theory is, is being abused and placed in the wrong category. Um, so absolutely not. Is this accurate description of history? Absolutely. When you have students that are learning that we probably invented 21 of the items that people use every day, but didn't get um, didn't get credit because of a, a simple term of what a patent is, like the kids know, oh, a patent is important. And this is what happened. And this is why a lot of black people didn't get credit. That's not critical race theory. That's just pointing out the flaws in the system in place. Um, and so it just kind of is hard because the fear that I would, and, and when, and here's the thing, remember a lot of my students are adopted by white parents and they sat through the entire section of our lessons all year long and came to the pool party and said, that was the best 45 minutes to an hour that you could have done for my children. They sat right behind them and they never felt bad for being white. They never felt bad for being white parents. And in fact, were probably prompted to be better parents and advocates for their black and brown children. And I think we have to take a pause and ask ourselves, what are we really fearful of, of a theory? Like, that's like saying, okay, the big bang theory. Are you mad at it? Do you want to ban it? It's a theory. It's someone's perception and their thought at the time you're talking about black scholars that were teaching at Harvard, their perception is going to be completely different at that time coming on the heels of civil rights law. Yeah, they're gonna really look at it with a different perspective and lens. Um, and so no, Rise Virtual Academy, do we talk about it? No. Do we teach it? No, it's kind of a thick, like, have you seen the book? It's pretty thick, pretty thick. We're not talking about that. And we're not saying to them, you're better than the other. No, we're saying you belong and you deserve to be here too. Yeah, and you are powerful, just like everyone has power and strength. And capabilities. And the, the partnerships that work together, right? Like George Washington Carver. And then who there was another guy that actually then brought peanut butter into the land because he could get a patent. And so the, the need for both of us to be together to, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So how do people get connected to Rise Academy if they're interested? So um you go to risevirtualacademy.com. I don't have the new registration link up since we're taking break for 
um, the summer, but they can put a comment in that section to ask questions and it'll get sent to the email, the RISE email of I'd like to register my student, we'll put them on hold. Um, we'll start registration probably in July again. So they'll just go to the website. They can also go to the Facebook page, RISE Virtual Academy or Instagram. And we're still, you know, sharing, we're dropping little bits of knowledge throughout the summer as well, you know, like, so they can stay connected that way and, and send a message um, in that way uh, to us. Um, it's just a lot of fun. Like, you know, we were celebrating all the graduates and so we're like, okay, we're celebrating all the graduates, but did you know that we had our first black graduate that was born in you know, 1795? And so just still dropping some knowledge on <laughs> <laughs> Like we have somebody, you know, Alexander Twilight, he was an American educator. And so um, I think just keeping them engaged throughout the summer will be key virtually. Um, do you yeah. see that this will expand outside uh, Utah as a state or have you already done that? Have you already sort of said to the world, jump in if you want? No, not yet. There's been there's been talk about it, um, but especially in the Mountain West, right? For Idaho, Wyoming um, and, you know, black students there because they're like, hey, <laughs> we need this. Hello. Woo little nature call. <laughs> so I would expand it first to those three states, you know, that have black students. And, and we're hoping, hoping, it was harder to get a 501c3 than I anticipated. Um, we did the short form for it. And, you know, it's funny, but I, at the same time, I have to say that everything happens for a reason. And so we didn't qualify under the short form because the IRS saw us as a, as a school. Mm. And I, But we only meet once a week, but because of how it was described, they see it as a school. So I guess it could be a blessing in disguise because fingers crossed this month, we'll get results back if we qualified for the 501c3, which I thought we did in October. Um, but if we do, then that means they've already approved us as a school. And so that's just like, oh, that's one step closer to the fear of the dream that I say that I want. Um, yeah. And we'll move forward. And what about people who want to either support you financially or if they want to work with you or even yeah. help with curriculum? What, how can other people choose to connect up? We have an amazing system of volunteers that um, can't be beat right now with it being in its inception. So again, you can go to the website and there's a link for donations. Um, you know, even though we're teaching black kids, our money is all green. So we are taking it from everyone <laughs> and anyone. Um, and then we have just amazing parents that have volunteered the time to help do the website, um, to help put on different things. So I'm always looking for volunteers to help um, organize and connect us. Our, our big thing that we're looking at now is like, how can we get our, our high schoolers to receive credit for this time that they're mm. learning? an elective credit. And so we have a committee of people that are gonna be doing the uh, work and, and stuff. So again, the website risevirtualacademy.com and just put in, I wanna volunteer, I wanna help. Um, and volunteers can be all shades. It's just the students that we specifically look at um, that we wanna target, but opening it up to those you know siblings that are there because their brother you know, or sister um, might be black, but they have white siblings or Latino siblings that I see them peeking in during class and we invite them, in. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah, it's important. And they, and they come, they came to the party at the end of the year. It's important that, 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 um, young person has the family unit supporting them. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's so great. Such such an important cause and people need to check it out for sure. I, I'm so impressed with how you've pulled this together and, and yeah. just how needed it is in the community. Yeah. Um, we always end our podcast with a question that we ask everybody. And that is, you know, if you could travel back in time uh, in a time machine and talk to a younger version of Michelle Loveday, what advice would you give? And you get to choose whatever younger version you want. So. Uh, well, I'm looking at my eight-year-old who just got glasses today. Um, so I think talking to my younger self at that age, I would just say, it's okay if you don't have all the answers. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. I am such a type A personality um, and, and you know, surprise, Jim, <laughs> surprise. Um, I can relate. <laughs> so it's, it's really hard because there are some slip ups, there's some hang ups, there's some things that take time and sometimes you just don't know. And so I would tell my younger self that it's okay to not have all the answers, but push forward anyway and, and to stay positive about it. And that's Great what advice. you're doing with the school is you're just like, or, or the virtual academy, I don't know if it's a lot, we're allowed to call it a school with your three. <laughs> we don't want to jeopardize anything, but you know, I mean, that's what you're doing is you're just, you know, just diving in and, and without all the answers, but figuring it out as you go. And that's amazing. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. And, and it's scary sometimes because I'm an educator and you know how we are as educators. We just, we know what we know and we teach what we teach and that's it. But this is a business, right? And so, um, that that's scary and that's intimidating on how to figure it out but there's so many resources out there um and so you do you just have to jump in yeah. first and then keep swimming <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome advice yeah that's great well we can we can hear how busy you are i'm not sure exactly when you sleep uh but we are excited that you took a little bit out of time out of your 24 hours to be with us and to share your insights and to share your expertise and just some of the enthusiasm you have for the project and if you go to the website you can see you can see the joy you can see all the excitement you can see that you have a really important thing going here and uh, and we are really appreciate you sharing some of that with us well thank you for giving me an opportunity to share that with with your viewer well your listeners with your listeners so thank you Thank you so much, Michelle. It's great to see you about, about your journey. Take care. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye-bye.